Welcome to the Wellness and Wanderlust podcast. We're here to demystify wellness and help you add a little adventure to your life. Tune in for a new episode every week where we'll hear from incredible guests and talk about ways to be happier and healthier in our new normal. I'm your host, Valerie Moses. Let's get started. Hello, my friends. Thank you so much for joining me this week for the Wellness and Wanderlust podcast. We are publishing a little later than usual this week, but I am so thankful to all of you for tuning in for another incredible episode. Whether you're listening to the show for the very first time or you've been here from the very beginning, this show is here to inspire you to make small shifts in your lives that can lead to major transformation. Before we dive into our episode, I want to share a quick announcement. We're coming up quickly on 100 episodes of Wellness and Wanderlust, so we have a very special 100th episode airing in a few weeks to celebrate. I'm collecting listener questions to answer on the show, so if you have a question you'd like me to answer about my podcasting journey or really anything else, feel free to send it to me over on Instagram at Wellness and Wanderlust blog. You can also email me at Valerie at Wellness and Wanderlust.net. I want to make sure that I incorporate all of your questions into the episode. So again, be sure to send those over within the next week or so. I would also like to share our latest listener review, which comes all the way from Panama. Joseph says, I just listened to the episode where you and Tracy Lalonde talk about her book and the importance of balancing joy and success to have a happier and healthier life. It was a great and entertaining one. I enjoyed every minute. I highly recommend this podcast to anyone interested in learning how to have a better balance in their life. I am looking forward to listening to more. Joseph, thank you so much for the kind words. If you're a longtime listener of the show or you listen to other podcasts, chances are you've heard hosts talk about the importance of reviews for helping others find our shows and to help get the word out there. Really, it is so true. Taking a few minutes out of your day to leave a review means the world to me and to podcasters everywhere, and it really does make a difference. So I genuinely appreciate everyone who has done that. And Joseph, thank you again from the bottom of my heart. Our guest for this week is Devin Burke, the founder of the Sleep Science Academy, and one of the top health and sleep coaches in the world. He is also an international and TEDx speaker and the best-selling author of The Sleep Advantage, inspiring thousands of people around the world to improve their sleep, energy, and life. In our conversation, Devin shares the importance of sleep and why so many of us struggle with it. We talk about how to get more high-quality sleep, what to do on those nights when you're awake and can't slow down your thoughts, how your morning routine can impact your sleep quality, and so much more. Plus, Devin answers the controversial and age-old question, should we nap? And his answer might actually surprise you. This is a really great conversation that had so many listener questions come through, so I know you're going to love this one. Our sponsor for today's episode has a product I use literally every day. I started taking AG1 because my doctor recommended I start incorporating greens into my morning routine. And I wanted to cut back on some of the many vitamins I take with breakfast. I work in community engagement and PR, so I'm on the go quite a bit and time is a luxury. With one scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. I take AG1 every morning before breakfast and it's great for digestion and gut health, energy, and immune health. AG1 is lifestyle friendly, whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, and contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, and no nasty chemicals. AG1 has high quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb, and it's a great way to take care of yourself with a busy lifestyle. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com wanderlust. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash wanderlust 
to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right, friends, now on to today's show. Hi, Devin. Thank you so much for joining us at Wellness and Wanderlust today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to uh, talk sleep with you, Valerie. Well, I am very excited to talk about this topic with you. It's something that I definitely have needed a little bit of help with, kind of developing a better routine with. And it's something that when I shared with listeners that we'd be talking about sleep, so many questions and comments came in. People were very excited about this topic. So before we really dive into it, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and how you developed this interest in sleep. So I've been a student all my life. Uh, I'm still a student. And I've studied a lot of different things over the years, mostly in health, wellness, and performance. So I actually, I was going to become a doctor of physical therapy. That was sort of my, the idea of what my life was going to be like. And then I discovered health coaching and went down and took a lot of different certifications and really studied nutrition. And then I got into psychology and went down the rabbit hole of studying performance psychology. And so I was, I was actually working with a lot of very high performing entrepreneurs, business owners, people that run companies and, and families and um, have a lot of responsibilities. And of course, sleep was a big issue for these, these clients that I was working with. And one particular client had a really bad sleep issue. And he asked, you know, he, he said, Hey, I, you know, I know you study a lot of things. We talk, we talk a lot of things besides sleeping pills. What, what's there for, for, you know, how can you help me with this? And I had studied all these different things. I haven't studied sleep. And so I said, let, let me look into it. And when I started to understand how important sleep was, and then looked at what was available for people, I said, oh my gosh, I need to learn more about this. And so that kind of just sent me down this rabbit hole of studying sleep science and, and really understanding the psychology and the physiology of the importance of sleep and how to help people sleep. And then I was able to help him. And I said, well, if I can help him with this specific problem, then I can help you know, thousands or, or even maybe millions of people that have sleep issues because literally there's about 70 million people struggle uh, in the United States with, with sleep issue. Uh, and that's what got me so passionate about it. And it's, um, it was about six years ago at this point. So it's been it's been really fun learning and continuing to learn actually every day about sleep and, and how to improve it and you know why it's so important because there's all different types of studies coming out around sleep. It's a very hot topic right now. Oh, I'm sure. And I think, you know, so many of us, we, we've grown up in this culture, this very hustle culture of, you know, just power through with my coffee and don't talk to me till I've had my coffee. Again, that like powering through and maybe we, we know that sleep is important. We understand that somewhat, but we're not really prioritizing it. And this is something I've certainly been guilty of myself at different times. Yeah. Can you talk to me a little bit about, you know, again, we, we, we know that it's important, but I don't think we totally understand why or how important it is. Yeah. So it's the foundation of health and that literally there's not an aspect of your health or really actually your, your entire life that isn't affected by sleep. Um, so when I say every aspect of your life, I mean from your weight loss to your mental clarity, your acuity, your performance, your creativity, to your emotional stability, how you show up in relationships, to your energy, your longevity. I mean, literally any important area of your life gets touched by sleep when you're not getting enough of it. And so it, you know, from a physical standpoint, if we're not sleeping, we're not recovering. And our bodies, we all have cancer in our bodies. And so it's during the night when the body literally, it's like the trash men come out, clean up all the damaged cells. It's when the 
you know, the lymphatic system, which is like the lymph system for the brain, flushes out the beta amyloid, the plaque that builds up and creates Alzheimer's. So sleep is from a physical recovery standpoint is essential. But even like I said, all these other areas of mental stability, memory, learning, there's so much research now on what happens when we are underslept and how that affects our ability to retain information. So, so again, there's, I mean, there's, there's so many aspects of uh, where, where we could go with this, but any important area of your life, it will improve if you improve your sleep and any important in your life will actually get, you know, affected negatively if your, your sleep is, is suffering. That makes a lot of sense. I know that for me, when I was, um, when I was sick for a couple of months, it really affected my sleep. And I found that I would regularly be walking into rooms and forgetting why I went in there. And it affects so much with, you know, even just how you're reacting to other people and how you're performing in your, in your job and how you're performing in all areas. So I can definitely understand that not having that recovery would be so huge in so many different areas. Now, that, in that particular case, that had to do with being sick, but I think so many of us are underslept in general. Why do you think that is? And for those of us maybe who are getting sort of the right number of hours, but still tired, you know, what are we doing wrong and why are we struggling with this? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a difficult question to answer because everyone is a bit different, but based off of helping literally at this point, thousands of people with their sleep, really what it comes down to is some form of stress. And when I say stress, I don't just mean mental, emotional stress. I mean, physical stress. I mean, environmental stress. So we're getting, you know, there's more stress now than ever, especially just because of, you know, the nature of what, where the world is and what's going on in the world. So there's heightened level of sympathetic nervous system response, people are almost kind of stuck in these fight or flight states chronically, uh, which then directly carries over into an inability to fall asleep or stay asleep or get into those deeper stages of quality sleep, which you alluded to in, in sort of the, the second half of your question there. And, you know, so it's, it really comes down to just stress and not understanding how to mitigate it, not understanding what's creating it, or really having the tools to shift out of stress and shift back into a state of rest and relaxation. And so so that's really, and then like we were kind of discussing just a moment ago, there's this, our culture is sort of set up to, to see sleep as a weak habit of low performers, a waste of time as, as something that we, you know, we should sacrifice or need to sacrifice. And so that's really based off of all of my experience, what, what I'm seeing as to why so many people are struggling with their sleep right now. And I think it's so ironic too the you know, with sleep being seen as a weakness, but so often it is really negatively impacting our performance when we're not sleeping. And I think, you know, we do have so many high performers that listen to this show and people that are trying to build their careers. And in that part of life, you know, most of our listeners are in the 20s, 30s, and 40s, where you're in that part of your career where you're trying to build and grow and to see that success. And so I think for many of us, while we might be those high performers, our sleep isn't really reflecting that. And I'd love to know, how can we shift that mindset around sleep a little bit first and foremost? Because I know that sometimes I get that second wind at night and I'm like, well, let me just get more done. And I always do worse the next day when I do that, but it's really hard sometimes in the moment. Yeah, it is. And it, so I think the first thing is to understand is, you know, you got to look at it as a sustainable 
strategy because uh, you can get away with a little bit of sacrificing your sleep when you're young. And, you know, it's like anything else. Like if you're in college and you're going out drinking and, you know, you're getting crazy, you're not sleeping and your body kind of recovers pretty quick. And then you try to do that when you're in your like 30s or 40s and you're like out for the week. Right. So so you can get a, you, you can get away with a little bit of abuse, a little bit of sacrifice temporarily. But really, when you understand when you're looking at like the longevity of what you can create over the course of your life it's it's so important to protect and prioritize it because you're going to you, you'll eventually hit a wall you'll get sick you'll burn out and i see this all the time and actually i that was kind of my story as well like i was sacrificing it and and i was you know not prioritizing and protecting it until i really started to understand how important it was and saw what a big impact it made and so i think it's just a mental shift where people have to understand that it is important and yes, there is a time and a place to hustle and, you know, and, and to push it. And you need to fact, if you're doing that, you need to factor in just as much recovery time, you, you know, making that a habit isn't sustainable. And what's important is sustainability over the course of, of a life. And so, yeah, so that's, th- th- those are a couple of things I would say for people just to, to keep in mind if, if you're in that demographic and right now it's, you know, you're, you're hustling and you're, and you're making the sacrifice that's not sustainable. And eventually it'll catch up with you. You can get away with it a little bit, but here's the thing. You're going to enjoy what you're doing so much more if you're well slept. So you can sacrifice some of your joy and energy temporarily, but you don't have to. And you'll actually, you'll come to find that you're more productive, you're more creative when you're not making that sacrifice. That makes a lot of sense and definitely something to keep in mind that, yeah, for me, I definitely was able to handle that a lot better at 21 than 31. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I'm noticing it now. I didn't think I was getting old. And then after, you know, a few nights that really didn't get that much sleep, I realized, wow, I really can't handle this the same way that I did when I was a lot younger. And so I think recognizing that and knowing that those habits that you have now can shape what you're doing later. So I do think a lot of this does have to do with habit. And I think it's something that we can kind of rebuild and kind of focus on developing. But for you, what would you say when you're working with a client who is underslept, maybe part of that hustle culture, what are some of those best practices that you recommend to kind of get started? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a ton of things that people can do to optimize the quality of their sleep. So at Sleep Science Academy, we really work with people that have chronic insomnia and a very specific type of insomnia, psychophysiological insomnia, which is really also, it's a fancy way of saying learned insomnia, but sleep hygiene really is for sleep quality. So let me give you a couple examples of what some, some of sleep hygiene tips that would be helpful for people that just literally are listening to this, that they could implement tonight. Three, two, one, sleep. So Three hours before you like to be asleep, you stop eating. The reason for that is because the first stage of the night is when we get the most deep sleep and we don't want our bodies, you know, digesting our food during that stage. Two hours before you'd like to be asleep, no work because there needs to be a clear transition between our days and our nights. And oftentimes we take our days right into our nights and then we wonder why we can't sleep. And then one hour before bed, 
that's when you start what's called a bedtime routine or a bedtime ritual, which could look like a number of things. It could look like stretching, meditating. It could look like reading, making love to your partner. It could look like, you know, knitting. It could look like doing a puzzle. Something ideally that doesn't involve technology. We're all so addicted to our devices. You know, Netflix, the CEO of Netflix said, the competition is sleep because these shows are so good and people just, you know, they roll right into the next one. So the three, two, one sleep is something so simple that anyone listening to this can do tonight and they would see an improvement in their sleep quality. That's such a great reminder for us, especially when it comes to that technology, because I know for me, I have my phone right next to my bed. And while I try not to be on it when I go to sleep, I mean, we certainly, I think, most of the people listening to this have that blue light going at some point in the night that we know we shouldn't, but we still do it. Yeah. It's, you know what, Valerie, it's more so the hyper arousal that's created in the brain, not so much the blue light. The blue light for sure affects the quality because of the melatonin blunting process that happens when, you know, you're not getting that full melatonin production because of blue light, but it's actually what's, what studies are finding. It's actually more the mental arousal. So like, for instance, if you're checking, Instagram, if you're checking emails, if you're checking whatever that you check on your phone, news, it's it's that mental arousal that's creating then a challenge for, for the body to actually shift into that rest and digest that kind of state, parasympathetic state, which then the body knows, okay, now it's time to sleep. So it's not just the the light, it's also the hyper arousal that's created from, from the uh, actual content of what's being consumed. That makes so much sense too, because I hadn't even thought about this, but recently I had to turn notifications off of certain social media apps just because at night I found that if I got a certain type of message or if I saw certain notifications, it would get me kind of revved up. Yes, that's yes. it. Exactly. Exactly. And that's the last thing. Our bedroom is for two things. It's for uh, sex and sleep. That's it. It shouldn't be for checking your email, social media scrolling. You know, you really want to create a sacred space in your home and that should be the bedroom. And, you know, the bed is the most important piece of furniture you own. The bedroom is the most important room in your home. So creating a sanctuary, something that's cold, dark, and quiet that doesn't have technology like a TV or you're not, you know, if you bring your phone in, at least turn it on airplane mode, turn it upside down so the lights aren't blaring in the middle of the night. But it's, you know, that it goes a long way. It really does. If you upgrade your, your environment and really kind of treat your bedroom like it's a sacred space, a sanctuary of the home. And that makes a lot of sense because we want to spend, you know, you're hopefully spending eight hours or so per night, hopefully, roughly yeah. um, in that room. And to be spending, say, a third of your life there, you want it to be that peaceful place and not so much the place of that. You know, we talk about this on the show, how we have that fight or flight sometimes when it comes to an email we receive. Yeah. And we don't want to be having that when we're trying to either get to sleep or when we're waking up, I think, in the morning. Well, it's, what happens is the body actually anchors certain states of arousal to places. So if you're anchoring arousal to your bed and bedroom because you're checking your email and it's kind of giving you a little cortisol hit or, or you're checking your social media and it's giving you serotonin or dopamine or something like that, your body starts to kind of, it, we're, we're creatures of habit. And so it sort of starts to expect these things to happen and they, they become habits and then it's, that's really where it starts to become detrimental to our sleep, where if, if you can just understand like, okay, let me draw a line here. I'm going to change what I'm doing 
and that's hard. Change can be hard, but it's possible. And when you do it, then you're like, wow, okay, you feel better because you are getting that restorative sleep and you know you're getting it because you wake up and you actually feel refreshed versus feeling like a zombie or feeling like you haven't even slept at all, even though you did. So it can be challenging, but little, little steps over time yield massive differences. And that's really what we, we encourage people to, to, to do is to change these little things and little things become big things over time. Now, for those listening where it, maybe it's not just some of the habits that they've had, you know, in terms of like the technology, but they truly have that in- insomnia where they're not just getting poor quality sleep, but they're getting very, very minimal sleep. Do you, what tips do you have for them to start moving forward with developing a sleep routine? So when we work with clients at Sleep Science Academy, we actually work with them over a period of eight weeks. And we look at three different very important areas to help people restore their natural ability to sleep without the need of medication or to get off medication. And we first look at the psychology of what's going on. So what is creating the stress? We call it, you know, your stress stories or your stories about your sleep. So we really dive deep into the psychology, then the physiology, and then the environment. So three phases. And within each phase, there's a lot of different tools and techniques to help people, again, connect to the natural ability to sleep because our bodies and minds know how to sleep. It's often we just get in the way um, because we're doing things or we're not doing things that are getting in the way. So it's a matter of looking at, well, how do we remove the barriers from the mind as well as the body and then set up the environment in a way that's conducive such that the body does what it knows how to do? Like You don't have to think about your heart beating. You don't have to think about your lungs breathing. You don't have to think about your nails growing. They just grow. And sleep is the exact same thing. And the more you think about it, and the more you try to force or control it or do things to fix it, actually the worse you sleep. Because it's not something that you can force or control or really fix. Because it's in trying to fix it or force it or control it or do things so that you sleep, it actually often builds up this anticipatory sort of performance anxiety, which becomes the very thing that keeps people from either getting to sleep or staying asleep or falling back asleep if they do wake up in the middle of the night. So does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's like when you tell yourself not to think about the certain thing and then you're going to think about it and you're going to fixate on it. Right. So it's the one thing in life, the harder you try it, the worse you get at. So the first piece of advice or recommendation for people that are listening to this that are chronic insomniacs that have trouble either initiating sleep or maintaining sleep throughout the night is really to stop trying to sleep. And it sounds really like, what? What are you talking about? But the moment that you stop trying to sleep, it actually allows the body to shift back. Oftentimes, if you have the right mindset and tools and support into that space of rest and relaxation. There's nothing that you really have to do so that you sleep. And it's an important distinction because often people think, oh, I need to do this and I need to do that. And I'm doing all these things so that I can sleep. And we always tell our clients, no, you don't need to do anything to sleep. You don't need to do anything to sleep. And that's the truth. You can do these things to create the opportunity for sleep to happen. But if you're doing something so that you sleep, it creates this expectation and that creates this sort of buildup of uh, like this little, sometimes most people are sometimes not even aware of it. And it's that little distinction 
that then keeps sleep from actually happening. That's so interesting. And I hadn't thought about that before. But I mean, I've definitely on the nights, I am thankfully not particularly insomniac, I might have a night or two, maybe once a year, typically, unless unless I do maybe have, you know, illness or something like that. But I am someone who gets either the racing mind or the ruminating mind. And so I think for me, and probably for many people, the fear of not sleep is kind of, you know, when you're when you're laying there, and you do have those thoughts, and it makes it difficult. Do you have any suggestions for those who because you do look at the psychology and what's creating that stress? What advice do you have? for those who aren't sleeping and maybe they're, they are creating um, that stress around, you know, not just the lack of sleep, but then maybe what's racing around in their minds once they're not sleeping. Yeah, that is a fantastic question. It really is. And it really depends. We have several different frameworks when we're working with someone's psychology. But the thing is, depending on how triggered someone is, so you know, on a scale of zero to 10, 10 being extremely triggered, like have almost on the verge, 10 would be like a, a panic attack, let's say. And, and, and zero or one would be like on Hawaiian beach drinking a pina colada. Like how triggered are you? And depending on how triggered you are, there would be different recommendations. So for somebody, let's say that's at like a, a six, as far as, you know, their, their mind's racing, they're thinking about all the things that they need to do or should have done. And then they start to worry about, oh my God, if I don't get sleep, tomorrow's going to be terrible because I'm not going to have energy and it's just going to be horrible. And, you know, and the mind starts to sort of build this sort of like a, like a snowball effect that happens. Um, when you find yourself in that place, the best thing you can do is not try to fight your mind, is just allow your mind to race. Because eventually what it's going to do is it's going to sort of fizzle out. And what people try to do sometimes is they try to like distract themselves or reframe their thoughts and do all these other things. And there's a time and a place for some of that, but just allowing your mind to, to kind of go and just seeing it go and not making it wrong or, or judging it, but just almost just like witnessing your thoughts, you'll notice that it'll run its course and then there'll be, it'll calm down eventually. Um, but we always tell people to get out of bed. So if this is happening in your bed, remove yourself from the bed and bedroom because you don't, again, want to anchor your bed and bedroom with a racing mind. So we always say, have a place and a plan. If your mind races and that's the thing that's keeping you up, have a place and a plan to go and let your mind race. And then when it stops racing, and it will, if you just allow it to do its thing, then you get back into bed. So at some point, if somebody's really triggered, you could use a distraction technique. So let's say on that scale of like almost had a panic attack, that might be a time to actually do a distraction technique. And a healthy distraction technique could be something like breathing. You know, just becoming aware of your breath, anchoring yourself back into the present. It could be stretching. It could be journaling and actually writing out your thoughts because our hand moves a lot slower than our mind. It could be prayer. It could be putting yourself in a place where you're watching your emotions and allowing those emotions just to be there without judgment. So there's a lot of different sort of tools and strategies depending on how sort of triggered someone is. And it, you got to kind of play with it because there's not like a quick fix, unfortunately, for, for this specific challenge. It's something that you have to kind of experiment with 
And there's a lot of practices that we teach that help people kind of find what works best for them over, you know, a course of several weeks, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think that also makes sense that there's kind of no one size fits all with this, that it kind of depends on where you're at emotionally and, you know, as far as your stress goes. And I'd never thought about getting out of bed because I'm always thinking, well, if I get out of bed, then it's going to really wake me up. But if you're thinking about it, you're probably already kind of awake right? and to kind of separate yourself from that situation. That makes so much sense. Yeah. It's called uh, stimulus control and it's a CBTI technique, cotton behavioral therapy for insomnia technique. And so, you know, if you're in bed longer than they say around 20 minutes and you kind of feel like you can kind of feel like, am I in a place where sleep will come? And if you're not in that place, just remove yourself from the bedroom and again, have a place and a plan for where you're going to go and what you're going to do. And that plan should not involve checking your email or watching the news. Really, it really should be something that is just relaxing in a low lit area, um, maybe some stretching. And, and then when you feel that sleepiness kind of come back on, then you just get and just walk into your bedroom, get back in bed and don't do anything because sleep will come. That makes sense. And for someone who maybe they're not, they don't have the mind racing. I had always heard that it was better to be like, if you were relaxed, but not totally asleep to be laying there in bed for like, even if you couldn't fall asleep versus being up and about, is that true? If you're in kind of a peaceful state of mind and you're just not falling asleep or what's the science on that? Yeah. I mean, so your body does rest and most people don't realize that, you know, the first stage of sleep is kind of like you're in and out of consciousness. So you might not think that you're asleep, but you're actually coming in and out of like that first stage of sleep. So there is, there is benefit to, to resting, even if you're kind of still coming in and out of consciousness. But again, if you're someone that has chronic issues, either getting or staying asleep, and it's been an ongoing issue for months or years, you, that's not what you want to do. Because again, you're, you're training, we train our mind and body how to respond and react. And that's, you're instilling a very bad habit that I, I wouldn't suggest you do. Like that would be like, figure out how to actually address the problem. But for someone that has occasional issues sleeping and, or, you know, once in a while, it's like transient insomnia, which most people have at some point uh, in their life, then, then yeah, just resting your body is going to be, there is, there is going to be some, some benefit for that. And I, that would be a good strategy just for not, not for people that have those real chronic sleep issues. That makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Um, and now you mentioned that there were several barriers that can come up psychologically, physiologically, and of course, in the environment. What are some of the other common ones you see when it comes to people who are experiencing more chronic insomnia? Yeah, I mean, most people, um, well, the, the challenge is most people just try to address their sleep issues physically with really band-aid solutions like sleeping pills or supplements or even sleep hygiene. And there's a time and a place for all of those things that I just mentioned. But you really need to address the psychology first and then the physiology. And the physiology, some of the barriers to that is it's really people's bad habits and really people not getting enough sun first thing in the morning, people taking their days into their nights, not having clear transitions. There's the two things that actually control Sleep is sleep pressure, which is this buildup of adenosine, which caffeine blocks adenosine. So drinking too much caffeine or alcohol can kind of disrupt that aspect of sleep. And then the circadian clock, which, which people just don't get enough sun. They don't, they're not outside enough. And then that kind of throws off the physiology of sleep. 
but addressing the sleep challenge in the right order is really important. So if you just try to address sleep, the physical aspects of sleep without addressing the psychological aspects of sleep, I just find it's not sustainable or really effective. It's really temporary. And that's kind of where most people fall into, into the, like they go online and they look, they start researching stuff, um, but they don't have the proper understanding around what's going on in the psychological area which really needs to be addressed first before some of these physiological areas are, are balanced out and then move into the environment area. So order actually matters a lot when you're trying to troubleshoot and look at the barriers within each of these areas. So I don't know if that answered your question, but I, I, <laughs> I just kind of went on a tangent there. No, I think though that that does because I I do think we're we're so tied to well what's the temperature in the room yeah. and it's all great if we can get the environment the way we want it to be but if if your mind is still racing then your mind is still racing and if you don't have you know a way to cope with that whatever that might be whether it's leaving the room in the moment or maybe getting getting into therapy during the day to address some of the problems that might or whatever it might be developing whatever practices that we might need for self-care and for our psychology or to address if it's trauma that we're yeah. kind of playing through. That's it. That's exactly it. And, it. and a great night of sleep happens as soon as you wake up. So literally everything you do throughout your entire day dictates how well or poorly you're going to sleep. And you know, there's not a separation between your day and your night. And people always like to kind of try to separate. Well, it's, you know, it's sleep. Sleep is not the problem. It's actually sleep is simply a result. And so the real problem, if there is a problem, is really in how you're thinking about sleep and what you're doing or you're not doing. And that's really where people need to, to really look and take a good look in the mirror. Like, well, what are the things that in my psychology and in my habits, in my physiology that need to be upgraded? And that could be changing your diet. That could be, you know, getting some support, whether a therapist or a coach to kind of dive into your stress triggers and, and learn some coping strategies. That could be, you know, upgrading your bedroom and getting a, a really good supportive mattress and really nice bed sheets and taking the technology out of the room. So there's, there's a lot that people could do. And I think it's important just to keep it simple, but realize that a lot of this actually happens during the day. It's not like this magic solution at night. You're going to do something and then you're going to sleep great. It's literally your entire day affects your sleep. That makes a lot of sense because I mean, then the way you do one thing is kind of the way you do everything. And I know for me, I can be really guilty of the snooze alarm in the mornings. Um, sometimes I can have, you know, and, and I know that the days that I do that, I it's usually, you know, I didn't have the best night of sleep before, but I'm also when I do it, not going to necessarily have the best day ahead of me, which could lead into the stress, which could lead into the later night of scrambling before bed and then not getting to sleep at a decent hour or, you know, not getting the quality sleep. So it sounds like then you do address a lot of what's happening, you know, during the day when you're working with clients, is there a morning routine that you recommend or things that you would suggest they do when they're, when they're starting their day? Absolutely. And I, I just want to touch on something you said that was really important. When we're talking about the physiology of sleep, one of the most important things that you can do is actually wake up at the same time every day, despite how poorly or how little you slept the night before. That really helps the circadian clock, which is, again, that other system in the body that controls sleep to stay synced. So that's a you know, really important key thing. Like 
get wake up at the same time every day is really good for your physical sleep, your, the physiology of sleep. And if you can get outside and get some sun on your skin, even better. So again, it's, sometimes it's these simple things that we just don't think about. Like, oh, it seems like it's logical to hit the snooze button and then sleep in. But then like you just went through the kind of the cascade <laughs> of what happens when you do that, right? Yeah. Um, so now getting to the question about the morning routine. So how you start your day absolutely affects how well you're going to sleep because how you start your day, I kind of, I call it like putting on the armor. You don't know what the day is going to bring. So starting your day with space, um, we have all our clients implement a mindfulness practice. So some type of meditation, some, some type of practice that allows them to watch their thoughts, to understand that we're not our thoughts, to really start to really create some separation between their thoughts and who they are and have a practice around that in the morning is really important. Hydrating, really important. If you can move your body first thing in the morning, that's fantastic. Depending on your lifestyle, depending on you know if you have kids, if you have to get up and drive to work, there's a lot of factors there. But I would say the most important thing in the morning is just start your morning slow. Like most people start their mornings like a thousand miles an hour. They're jumping out of bed. They're slamming some coffee and the cortisol is highest in the morning. So if you're drinking caffeine, that's going to only increase your cortisol and keep that stress hormone high throughout the rest of the day, which is going to cause more stress, right? So you wake up, have a big glass of water to hydrate your body because you you lose about a liter of water throughout the night. You do some type of practice, some type of mindfulness practice, whether that's a sitting meditation or a prayer, maybe, you know, walk around the block and connect with nature or God or create some sort of space. And really those are two like the essential things. And that kind of like, you're like putting on the armor for the day. And that really will help you handle the rest of the day so that there's not so much to wind down at the end of the day. Cause it, it's sort of like all day you're picking up these sort of charges from the day and then you have to discharge. And if you're not discharging throughout the day and there's too much charge at the end of the night, then it's going to take a lot for your body to wind down. And then you're most likely going to have trouble sleeping. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I think like when we're, when we're doing those things, we're able to set more intention. Cause I've even had nights where I, you know, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, tomorrow is going to be so stressful. I have all of these things that need to happen. And maybe around dinner time, I end up writing in my journal about why it's going to go well and kind of setting my mind in the right place so that the next day, you know, kind of setting myself up for that success. And then when, you know, when I'm, when I'm taking these practices throughout my day, I, I feel like I'm mentally stronger. And then when, you know, if something does go wrong because life is not perfect, we're living in a pandemic world and things are unpredictable, we're able, I think, to, to respond to it better. And we're not stressing about it as we're lying in bed that night. That's it. I mean, and, and really the positive things, the self-care that you create, the space that you create for yourself in the morning just overflows into everything else that you do. So bookending your days. So really starting really strong with a you know healthy practice. It doesn't have to be long. It could be 20 minutes. So that's all you need. And then ending your day, creating some space to end your day, like the bookends, it goes a long, long way. Now you can go a little bit crazy too and do like cold showers or I have a cold bath here in my home and, and that's what I do in the morning. I, you know, I do a meditation and then I jump in my cold bath and that's like kind of next level. So you can always build on your routines, but you can keep them simple too. Like it doesn't have to be this 
big production where you're doing all this priming and all these things and affirmations. And it's just, you know, as long as you're doing things that something you're doing something for your mind and you're also doing something for your body to prepare for the day that are positive and healthy, that's a great start. And then you can change up those routines. You could swap things out. You could, you know, depending on where you are in life or, or what's going on in your life, you might need more time or maybe you have less time. So you have to condense things. So you got to be flexible with your routines and, and know that it's, it's not about perfection. It's just about progress. And every day and every night is a new opportunity to practice and create something that's going to lead to better outcomes. I love that because there are going to be things that come up periodically where it's not going to be perfect. And often it's not going to be perfect anyway, because again, the world is not, things are not perfect. But if we're, you know, moving forward or making that progress, I think that's huge. And it is going to yield major improvements over time and we're going to feel better. It's going to really optimize things. I think it's, you know, forward momentum. That's it. And Valerie, I, I always tell people, keep it simple. Complexity leads to procrastination. So keep it simple. Just start simple. So maybe right now your routine is you wake up with a blaring alarm and you drink coffee. A simple upgrade was you wake up rather than drinking coffee, you drink water, wait an hour and then drink your coffee when your cortisol level starts to go down. Okay. That's great. Right. Then we can build in, okay, let's wake up a little bit earlier or move the sleep schedule a little bit earlier. So we have some more time to do a five minute meditation where you're just sitting and you're breathing. And then maybe that expands to 10 minutes. And so it's kind of like just make these gradual little upgrades uh, and experiment and see how that affects your days and see how that affects your nights. And that adds that momentum and that motivation to kind of keep keep going with these with these practices. That does make a lot of sense. I think of um, Gretchen Rubin has a I don't know if it's her quote or if she just says it often, but don't let perfect be the enemy of the good. And I feel like so often we're trying to, you know, we we hear these things and we think, okay, I need to have the perfect routine then. And it does lead to that procrastination. And then, you know, if it can't be perfect, we're just not going to do it at all. But as you said, you can make really you know, major improvements just by making small changes and doing it gradually if that's what you need to do and just taking the small incremental steps. So I, I love that approach to it. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it works, you know, it really does work. You know, one of the big things I think it's interesting that I find in my work, there's, there's something I call the three P's and perfectionism is actually very often a pattern that keeps people from good sleep. I guess it's a type of person that really cares. They're usually intellectual and they're pretty perfectionistic. And then they bring that into trying to perfect their sleep. And there's no perfect sleep. It doesn't exist and actually creates more expectation and anticipatory anxiety. So that shows up a lot in our clients. Actually, a lot of our clients are recovering perfectionists and they realize how that doesn't serve them in trying to improve their sleep. The other P is the problem solver pattern that a lot of people have. A lot of times people that are entrepreneurs, they're amazing problem solvers. They're solving problems all day and then they treat their sleep like it's a problem that needs to be solved. And as we know, it's not. It sleeps just a result. It's not the problem. And then the, the other P is the pedestal pattern and people put sleep on a pedestal. And this one's a bit difficult because Valerie, it deserves to be on a pedestal. I mean, you improve your sleep, you improve your life. It really is that simple. And by putting it on a pedestal, it also, again, creates this like, oh my God, I need to get it. If I don't get it, my life's going to be worse because Devin told me so. And da, 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 da. And so then again, that creates this like this, this anticipatory sort of like this 
this attachment to, I need sleep. And that is definitely not an attitude that is going to help you sleep. So those are the three P's in the psychology portion of when we're working with clients that really show up a lot. And when people understand those, and then they start to see them and see how that's showing up in their sleep, their sleep improves. And then they actually can start to see how it shows up in their life. And then their life improves also, not just because they're sleeping, but because you know, they're able to release some of the control patterns that they've had, the perfectionism, and, and they just get a better understanding of themselves. So that's an example of some barriers in the psychological portion of what keeps people from sleep that most people never, never talk about or just never realize unless they um, are fortunate enough to, to find us, which is why I'm so grateful to, to be able to share this message and, and have people like you that have awesome podcasts to talk about this stuff. Well, thank you. And I do think it's such an important topic and something that you're really helping people to improve so many areas of their lives because, you know, as we talk about these three Ps, it makes a lot of sense to me, but it's not something I ever would have thought about, nor would I really have thought about the psychological being something to address before we get into the physiological. Because again, like when I think about improving my sleep, the first thing I think about is probably the environment. And yeah. while it's important, I mean, I could get blackout curtains and it's not going to stop the, the mind racing if that's something that's happening. And that's it. That's yeah. where it's, and that's where most people start because that's what they read online in these blog articles. And again, I'm not anti blackout shades or a really nice mattress and cold and dark and all that. That's amazing. But if you have a real sleep issue, like that's not really going to solve it. Like that'll help you improve the quality and depth of your sleep, but it's not going to calm your racing mind. It's not going to help you understand how you need to release control and maybe some of this perfectionistic tendencies that are then showing up in your sleep, right? Like that's kind of the, the, uh, the ice underneath the water that most people can't see. And that's really the stuff that needs to be understood and addressed for then people to to see the, the outward result of improved sleep. And that's exactly what we do uh, when we work with clients. That makes a lot of sense. And I can say, you know, again, this is something that impacts every single person because everybody needs to sleep. It's one of those things that we all have in common, no matter what the demographic is that's listening to the show, every single person needs it. And so we had a lot of questions come in and I'd love to ask you just a couple of listener questions that, that we got. So one of those has to do with that physiological that we talked about. Do you have tips for those who have trouble sleeping that may have injuries or chronic pain that they're dealing with? Absolutely. And that is a big physiological barrier for people to, to get to sleep. And really it's, it's pretty simple. It's deal with the pain. So, yeah. um, so literally if you have chronic pain, there's a couple things that you want to do. Number one, you definitely want to be working with a qualified physical therapist or someone that can help you get out of that pain, going on an anti-inflammatory diet to reduce some of the inflammation, getting a really good supportive mattress can help support the spinal health and help your, you know, your body just have that support it needs so that it's not in pain. But at the end of the day, it's just like, what's in pain? How, how do we get you out of pain? We can, we can reduce the inflammation. We can, you know, support the structure around where the pain is. And then we can do some things in the environment to mitigate that pain. Um, CBD is a great sort of supplement to help a lot of people find very helpful for, for pain management. But, you know, really it's, it's understanding that you got to get to the root cause of pain and usually that's it's inflammation. So that's, those are some, some things that I would recommend people explore 
that have pain is, is an issue for, for the reason why they're not sleeping. That makes sense. I feel like so many of the issues that we deal with, it really does stem back to, you know, we can, we can band-aid it, but it really does come back to that root cause. And we can lay there really feeling a little achy, but if we're actually addressing the cause of those aches and pains, you know, right. or injuries. Yeah. Right. Address the, yeah. Like, why are you in pain and how, what steps can we, are you willing to make to get out of pain? You know, we can change your diet. We can, we can maybe see a physical therapist. We can, there's all different types of new technology to help with pain management. Like I'll give you an example, uh, pulse electromagnetic frequency devices that are fantastic for people that are in pain, that people are getting really good results with red light therapy. So there's really amazing technology that now exists for people to get out of pain, but people have to be willing to do what it takes to find that technology and to to really make the changes necessary to to get themselves out of pain. Definitely. It, in you know the anti-inflammatory. I mean, it can be hard to cut tomatoes out, you know, and um, yeah. yeah, nightshades. Yeah, nightshades and you know, sugar and alcohol and caffeine and you know, there's a there's a place definitely for for all of that stuff. It's not like even if you're in pain, like you don't have to go s- completely cold turkey on all the all the stuff that you enjoy, but you know, do the things that get your body out of inflammation and, and cold exposure is incredible for inflammation. Like I'll tell you a quick story. I started doing cold exposure probably, I don't know, maybe two years ago. And I'm a very health conscious person. I really, it's very high on my priority list, taking care of my physical and mental, emotional, spiritual health, but doing the cold consistently getting in that cold tub it really has reduced so much inflammation in my body that I didn't even know I had. Like my flexibility has increased, not because I've been stretching more, but literally because the inflammation has reduced in my body. And it's really freaking hard to get in that cold tub every single morning or every other morning. It's, you know, 45 degrees and it's freezing. And every part of me says, do not get in this thing, but it makes a huge difference. So, you know, again, that's, that's a bit on the extreme levels, but you know, depending on how motivated you are, maybe, you you know, you get a a cold plunge and you start plunging. So I mean, you know, I think about how difficult the ice bucket challenge was maybe five, 10 years ago when we were all doing that. But, um, so kudos to you for that because yeah, I'm a total wimp, but I do think, you know, I've heard such good things about cold exposure and, um, and I've heard that can even be great for like healing trauma and some of the mental as well. And so I think, yeah, yeah. another question that came in, this is kind of a, um, a controversial one. Are naps something that are good or bad for our sleep or is it kind of a gray area? It depends. So it's, if you have chronic insomnia, if you have issues either initiating or maintaining sleep consistently and it's affecting your life, then naps are going to reduce adenosine, which is that other system in the body. Adenosine builds up in our body and creates this sleep pressure and the good kind of sleep pressure that we want that creates sleepiness. And what napping does is it actually sort of reduces that pressure and then makes it harder to sleep. And it's really, this is a difficult one for people because they're like, oh, I just need any sleep I can get. And then their body gets in the habit of taking a nap at a certain time, but it really is not serving them. And if you're someone that doesn't have chronic insomnia, you sleep well at night, but you around between one and three, you kind of get a little energy dip rather than having a coffee. If you can, if you can find a place to, to take a 20 minute nap, that's an incredible strategy for recovery, for performance enhancement. So it just depends. So if, inso- if you have insomnia, no naps. If you don't have insomnia and you kind of get tired at a certain 
point of that, you know, that day, that's when the body temperature actually drops, which actually our body temperature needs to drop two to three degrees Fahrenheit for sleep to happen. And there's a point in around, usually it's around like one to three o'clock where most people have a dip in their body temperature. If you can get a nap in, man, that's awesome. So yeah, so that's my thoughts on naps. That makes a lot of sense. I've actually been, um, cause I've been sleeping through the night just fine, but I have been finding, you know, around, you know, one, two, three o'clock is really when I'm feeling that dip. And, and so a lot of times I have been using on the days I'm working from home, I might use that lunchtime as more of a, like a little bit of a short nap time and I'll set an alarm just so that I don't. Cause everyone who has accidentally ended up with that three hour nap at a weird time that should, oh. you know, that's your, I mean, I'm like completely useless for the rest oh, of the day if that yeah, happens. No. Yeah. The nap, nap timing is important. 20 yeah. minutes is the sweet spot because you're, you're not going to drop into those deeper Delta stages of sleep. You might maybe have a little bit of a REM sleep, but you're not going to get into the deeper stage. If you get into the deeper stages of sleep and then you wake up, you're just going to feel even more tired than when you went to sleep. So, so yeah, set an alarm for a nap. 20 minutes is ideal. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it's definitely, it's, it's definitely something that can help be helpful for sure. That, that makes a lot of sense. Cause I think a lot of people, you know, we hear some people are very pro nap, other people are very anti. So the fact that it really depends on your situation, because again, everything is no size fits all. And in this particular case, that, that makes a lot of sense too. The final listener question that I got, and then we're going to dive into some rapid fires too, is for people who travel a lot where they're in different time zones and it, it's a little bit harder maybe to get like consistent sleep at, at specific times. What advice do you have if maybe their career kind of requires it or they're just very active travelers? Yeah, this is a real challenge for people. Um, you know, sh people that do have jobs where that they're, they're traveling around the world or maybe you're a shift worker. It really, really throws a wrench because our body loves consistency. And that's a form of stress on the body when you're constantly having the body be challenged because you're in different time zones. So I would say, I mean, again, it depends on the situation, depends on how many time zones, how many times is a, where is a client flying, how often there's so many factors there, but there definitely are strategies that you can take like sunlight and meal timing that can help keep the body sort of in a rhythm. So, uh, for instance, if you know, you're, you, you know, let's say you're, you're in Florida and you're going to be traveling to Asia for a business trip. Um, there are certain things that you can do leading up to that trip to help mitigate jet lag through just changing your sleep schedule, changing what time you eat, um, when you land, depending on what time you land, getting sun on your skin or not getting sun on your skin or wearing glasses. So there's a lot of intricacies that go into this question. It would be really, it'd be hard for me to actually answer it without really having like a case study, like, Hey, this is a person, <laughs> how often they travel. That's a pretty customized. Yeah. So, so yeah, but it, I would say that that is really a difficult situation. Uh, shift work, very challenging and time zone changes is challenging. So whoever asked that question, just reach out to me and I'd be happy to have a conversation with you. Sounds good. Yeah. That's, um, I guess that could be its own episode. Yeah, it really could. Yeah, it really could.
Yeah, that's the wellness and the wanderlust for sure. Um, well, that this is fantastic. I feel like we've gotten into so many really good topics when it comes to sleep. So many that I personally struggled with, so many that listeners have struggled with. So I think that this is a huge one and it's coming to me at a time that I really need it because I've it's it's been a time where I've been kind of focusing on maybe there are things I could be doing to optimize this and maybe there are things I'm doing that are not the best habits to be kind of enforcing and so to be um, having these conversations and that three, two, one method is something I'm really going to be mindful of kind of moving forward. But before I let you go and we share with the listeners where they can find you, I'd love to dive into some rapid fire questions that we ask all the guests as well. Absolutely. Let's, let's do it. Awesome. My first question, what is your top wellness tip? Well, this is, this is like <laughs> easy one. It's prioritize your sleep because it's the foundation of health. So that's your top wellness tip is if you're having issues with your sleep, even if you're not, track and measure. Well, if you're having issues with your sleep, tracking can can be an issue. But you know, you what we measure gets managed. So if you want to improve something, and hopefully after listening to this, you're inspired to improve your sleep, um, measure your sleep. And we use the Aura Ring at Sleep Science Academy. But optimize your sleep. Top wellness tip: do the things that help you get better sleep so that you can live better. I love that. And I think that's so fitting for today's conversation and something that definitely to be to be keeping an eye on. We have so many biosensors out there today that we that we can kind of look at this with more accuracy than we ever could before. So I, I love that. My next question on the Wanderlust side, where's your favorite travel destination? Uh, well, I'm definitely a wanderer. Um, I love, love getting places. I would say Iceland. I got engaged in Iceland a couple of years ago. This was pre-pandemic. And it was just such a beautiful country. It just offers so much that, you know, the landscape is just absolutely amazing. So I'm going to say Iceland for now. It's such a beautiful country. I'm dying to go. That's, um, that is a great answer. Yeah, definitely get over there. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah. Absolutely worth the trip. I love that. Now, if you were an animal, what animal would you be and why? I would say some type of bird, probably an eagle because eagles are just... I think they're just amazing. And why? Because of course they can fly. I mean, who doesn't want to fly? I mean, that's like exactly. sometimes you have dreams about flying, you know, just so I just I can just only imagine what it feels like just to be able to get up and fly anywhere you want to go. I have some wings. So yeah, I, I would be an eagle. That's a great answer for a wanderer too. Ex yeah, exactly. Cause it's like, <laughs> hey, I don't like this. I'm gonna flap my wings and go someplace else. And it's really easy and there's no traffic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a great answer. Um, if you could master a completely new skill, what would that be? Wow. So this is a difficult one for me to answer because I am this hyper curious person and I love learning new skills. Piano uh, is something that I would love to master and I haven't yet executed on the plan to learn, but <laughs> I think it'd be just really cool just to be able to to play some piano and um and sing. I love to sing. So that, that that's what's coming up for me right now. Love it. I think there's something so magical with music. And, and I I wish I'd practiced more when I had my piano lessons as a kid. But, me too. Um, me me yeah. too. Yeah. I'm like, why did I stop? I wish I would have just... <laughs> yeah. But, no, you could always pick it up again. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think all the things as kids that we maybe didn't practice as much and now as adults, it's like, okay, I'm ready to, you know, pick this back up. Exactly. Isn't that funny? Yeah, it really is. It's so, so you don't really realize it when you're a kid. And then in hindsight, you're like, oh, man, that thing. I just, yeah, you just yeah. totally 
perspective just totally changes. Exactly. Well, and then my final question for you, um, what's next on your bucket list? So what's next on my bucket list is actually a silent meditation retreat. Um, so, and I'm going to be checking that off in about two days. I'm heading down to, uh, to Columbia for four days of silence. Uh, So meaning no talking and no technology, totally off the grid. And that's been on my bucket list for a very long time. I've been really wanting and feeling called to do a silent, uh, retreat. And so, um, this week actually getting to get to check that one off. So I'm, I'm very excited about it. That is amazing. I've always been so curious about those. And I had a coworker bring up to me recently about one that she did. And it just sounds, it sounds so fascinating. So I'll definitely have to touch base with you when that's over to find out how it went. Cause what a, what a cool experience. Yeah. I mean, it either can be heaven or hell really I mean, <laughs> or somewhere in between, you know, I, I, I'm not sure, but most people can't be with themselves for like five minutes. Um, so to go a couple days without talking and without, you know, any stimulation, just sort of being with yourself, stuff starts to come out. So it'll be interesting to see what comes out and yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited about it. That's amazing. Well, I hope it goes great and I hope you have a fantastic experience with it. What a, what a cool bucket list item and, um, safe travels on that. Now, before I let you go, um, I want to thank you first and foremost for coming on the show, for sharing all of these fantastic tips with our listeners. I know that I'm going to be implementing a lot of these personally. How can listeners find you and connect? So Devin Burke Wellness, uh, D-E-V-I-N-B-U-R-K-E Wellness on all the social channels and then uh, sleepscienceacademy.com for people that are interested in learning more about how we support specific sleep challenges. And uh, yeah, YouTube, Instagram, all that. We I'm on there. So feel free to check me out. And that's, yeah, that's where you can find me. Perfect. And what can listeners find as far as your offerings go and what the Sleep Science Academy provides? Yeah. So all the, all the details of that obviously are on the website, but we do work with people. We have different programs depending on, you know, what your needs are and your goals. And it's, you know, I have a comprehensive program where we measure people's sleep, there's group coaching, one-on-one coaching, and it's a curriculum really over the course of eight weeks where we go through the the mind phase, the body phase, and the environment phase. And we have a very, very high success rate for people that have tried all the sleep hygiene and the supplements and the pills and nothing's seemed to work. Usually we're able to help those people restore their, their natural ability to sleep. So you can learn all about that on the website. And then of course, the sleep advantage is on Audible and also available on Amazon for people that just like to kind of dip their toe into more of this. You can definitely check out the, that book as well, my book. Perfect. I'm going to make sure to link all of that in the show notes so that listeners can connect with you and they can find your book. And again, Devin, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show and for sharing with us today. Oh, it was a great conversation. Thank you so much for creating the opportunity for for me to to come and share. And I hope that people take action on something that they feel inspired to do based off this conversation. And uh, yeah, it was really nice to connect with you. We talk about the importance of sleep all the time, but this conversation really inspired me to start working on my own sleep routine and start to really build on the quality of my sleep. Devin shared so many actionable takeaways 
And as someone who lies in bed at night ruminating a lot of the time, I really liked his tips to help us slow down our thoughts. I never thought about physically leaving my bedroom to do that. I always thought you really needed to stay in bed once you kind of tried to go to sleep, but it makes so much more sense to give ourselves that change in scenery as we try to regulate. Sleep is one of those topics that all of us, every single one of us, has in common. We all need sleep to function and we received so many listener questions for this. So I really think Devin did a great job of addressing an area that so many of us can work to up level in our own lives. I have linked Devin's information in the show notes. So if our conversation resonated with you, be sure to check out his website and social channels to learn more. You can tag both of us on social media as well with your favorite takeaways. I know I would love to hear what you have to say. As always, I want to thank you for tuning in and for sharing this part of your day with me, whether we're part of your commute, your walk, your workout, whatever that is. And if you have a topic you'd like us to explore in a future episode, please feel free to reach out to me on Instagram at wellnessandwanderlustblog or by email at valerie at wellnessandwanderlust.net. Again, episode 100 is coming out very, very soon, and we'll be doing an episode all about celebrating that 100th episode milestone. So if you have a question about the show that you would like to ask on that episode, feel free to send it my way as well. As I mentioned at the top of the show, one of the best ways you can lend your support to Wellness and Wanderlust is to leave a rating and review wherever you're tuning in from. It helps others find the show better. It lets people know what you think, and it truly makes my day. So if you find yourself tuning in regularly, I would so love to hear what you have to say. I hope you all have a fabulous day and I can't wait to see you next week.